Well, uh, I want to invite you all to turn with me in the scriptures. Uh, If you have it handy on your device or you can grab a Bible at the end of the pew to the book of second. uh, I'm sorry. uh, Second Timothy. Yes. Second Timothy uh, chapter two. Turn there with me. And that's in the in the New Testament after Romans and Acts and so forth. And before you get to. Uh, the book of Hebrews and, and whatnot. So it's Second Timothy 2, 2. I'm not sure if that's what the worship guide says or if it says First Timothy. But Second Timothy 2, 2 is what we want to look at today. And it's just uh, really we'll read verse 1 and 2 just so you don't feel like you're not getting your money's worth. Just one little verse. Uh, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that the Apostle Paul, who mentored and discipled Timothy, a young believer and young church leader, that he shared. And Lord, we thank you for the call and invitation that we want to focus on today in a, a very direct way that you give us to be your disciples and to be therefore led by you and built up by you and the process by which, Lord, you so often do that, which is that we put ourselves in a discipleship relationship with another believer where we're seeking for someone to invest in us and help us grow And then in turn, Lord, as we begin to mature spiritually, you invite us to do that as well with others, to invest in their lives spiritually, to help them grow. And so, Lord, we thank you for this passage of your word that speaks to that, that calls us to it, that lays out the beauty of it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you all, perhaps if you've been here for a few weeks, have realized that we're working our way through what we're calling the seven-year vision stream, which is looking at, you know, stream, flow, creek, kind of where God is taking us as a, as a church. And the way that we're doing that is looking back through some of the core commitments that we have as a church, recognizing God's grace. It's only by his mercy and love that we can have salvation. We can't do anything to earn it. So it's a gift from him. Uh, recognize, of course, the, the need to step out in faith, not just to believe things cognitively, but to actually seek to put ourselves in places where if God doesn't show up, then, then it's not going to happen. God's got to work. Uh, believing that God's word is true, truth and teaching, recognizing the scriptures are the foundation for everything really uh, about who God is and about who we are and having a relationship with him. That is true. It's solid. It's sound. We can build our lives around it. Uh, we've seen also in recent weeks the beauty of being connected in community, called to relationship with one another, like I talked about a few minutes ago. And then today we want to look at this specific idea of being disciples and discipling others. 
what it looks like for us to be a part of that powerful process. And and so the first thing I want you to do, and I should have provided probably some kind of pens in the pews. There's a pen in the worship registry. You have my permission to pluck that one out there as long as you put it back in. If you don't have a pen, uh, lean over to the, if there's a lady next to you and she has a purse. I've discovered in my life that generally there are pens located there. So ask her, would you let me have a pen? So I want you to hold up a pen when you have it. I'm like serious about this, which means I want you to try to actually have a pen. If you don't, it's my fault that I didn't put them in the pew. So if you don't, can't find one, don't sweat it. You can think about it. But if you've got a pen, turn to the last page of your worship guide, that, that little booklet of papers that you got when you came in. And there's some sermon notes there that I want us to follow along with. Don't worry, we're going to try to move through them quickly uh, quickly today. But down on page 23, just underneath where it says conclusion, I want you to jot down. Jot down one, two, three people that just come to your mind off the top of your head that have invested in you. It could be spiritually would be great. Uh, it could be somebody that's been a mentor in a work kind of setting. It could uh, moms or dads. It could be another dad that you saw and you know, okay, I want to try to follow some of what he's doing. Moms, maybe another mom that sort of mentored you in motherhood. You know, something. Uh, young people, maybe you've got a coach or you have somebody that's uh, helping you to learn piano or a teacher or somebody that you say that's somebody that invested in me, helped me in some way. Okay. I want us to talk about that today. That's, that's, that's what I want us to talk about from a spiritual perspective of what it means for us to be called as the people of God to be disciples and to make disciples. And the main idea is just this, that hopefully maybe if nothing else we can take away, that since Jesus calls us into his kingdom to become his disciples, or his disciples first, we should disciple others and be discipled across generations. Okay, let me unpack this in three ways. I want to talk about the privilege of, of being a disciple of Jesus, and then I want to talk as much as time as we have about the process of investing in others and being invested in. And the last thing, if we get time, we'll talk about what it means to do that across generations. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and some of you heard this story or saw a little bit about this on Facebook already, uh, I had dropped the boys off of school at school early on Friday morning, had been working out before that, was uh, driving my wife Patience's van and making my way back down this road, Ross Bridge Parkway, towards, uh, towards Ross Bridge. And as we think about the, the privilege of discipleship and the privilege of being called into to God's family, be transformed by his, his love. So uh, I, was, I was driving along this roadway and all of a sudden the traffic slowed down. And if you've been on any of the major Birmingham roads on an early morning weekday, I mean, there's traffic. People are moving, trying to get where they're going. All of a sudden, the traffic slowed down. And I thought, well, maybe there's like a little flock of geese walking across the street or, you know, ducks or something walking across and everybody's stopped. And then sure enough, I saw some a couple cars coming the other way on the road, pull over and people get out and try to. And all of a sudden I saw what the attention was, was this little fluffy white dog. Now, this dog may have been beautiful at another time, but this dog was looking rough. Had the fluff, the little little white fluffiness of a little poodle, Maltese or something, 
And, uh, and I'm not a dog person you're going to figure out right away. I mean, we've got a guinea pig in our house that's only by popular demand. I've got, I've got four animals in my house to take care of, plus that one. You know, that's enough for me. And I didn't grow up with dogs and so forth. But I saw this little dog. And even me, well, it's kind of like, oh, goodness, that thing has got sticks stuck in its, its fluff and the little pods that you find in your yard stuck in and dirt everywhere and was kind of doing this number, you know, just pitiful. And, you know, people in front of me looked like they were trying to help. So I thought, okay, hopefully somebody helped that little fluffy. And then all of a sudden, Fluffy runs off into the woods, and the traffic starts moving along again, right? And I thought, okay, good deal, get on home. Well, sure enough, boom, Fluffy pops right back out in front of the car that's in front of me. And they're slowing down, trying to figure out what to do, don't want to run. Well, Fluffy keeps, so by this time, the other side of traffic, they're back going 45 miles an hour. And Fluffy keeps popping her little head out like, I'm going to go across that lane. And even the non-dog lover, I was like, this is not going to end well for Fluffy. She's going to be way more fluffy than she wants to be if that happens. And, and then off into the woods she goes again. And I'm, Okay, we'll go on. And then sure enough, she pops up. And now I'm on the bridge, going over the bridge. There's nowhere. they got those concrete barriers. There's nowhere to go. And Fluffy's toddling along in front of my minivan, just, just walking along, just a little stroll along the street. So even me, I decide maybe... I should do something about Fluffy. Maybe I should help. So I pull over. I get out. I'm in my, like, shorts and a, and a T-shirt. It's for freezing cold a couple of Fridays ago. I don't know if you remember. So I'm like, this is crazy getting out of this car. I don't know if I want to do this. And I run down. I think all these cars are stopping, looking at me. I'm going to look like a goober trying to chase this dog that doesn't even want to get in my car. I get closer to it, and I realize it's just covered in dirt and filth and everything. Well, Fluffy, sure enough. It runs back towards the van, believe it or not. I walk back there, catch up to Fluffy, and I point to the back door, hit the little automatic button. Fluffy hops right in. <laughs> right in the van. I mean, all over the seats and everything. Patience couldn't have been happier about that. Well, I called Patience, and uh, let's just say she was shocked that I had helped out a helpless creature um, outside of my, my normal character, I didn't really even know what to do with Fluffy. We ended up getting Fluffy straight away. I won't tell you the whole story. There's a whole foster program for dogs I wasn't aware of. And then there's an adoptive program for dogs. I get a text this week, and I'm not lying to you. I sat and laughed out loud for five minutes when I got this text. Because I know me, and I know how little I really care about dogs. I get this text from this woman. I'm sorry if you're a pet person. I'm glad you're a pet person. I'm going to get emails. I get this text. And it says, uh, Fluffy is in her new home. She has a new place, has a new family. She's been adopted into this new family. And she has a new name. We want you to know what the name is because of the kind man who saved her life. We've renamed her Chrissy. (laughs) So... Chrissy's got a new home. Chrissy's got a new name. And uh, and all joking aside, I didn't expect to run into this little dog. I don't even know why I happened to be moved to help out the dog on that particular occasion. But isn't that a picture of you and me? We're just lost, helpless. I mean, there's something that was or is or could be beautiful about us because we're made in the image of God. This like fluffy could be beautiful, but, uh, but we're messed up. We got all kinds of stuff 
stuck in us and stuck in our lives and stuck in our souls, if we're honest about it. And what a privilege, folks, that God calls us, reaches into our lives and restores us, gives us a new name, gives us a new identity as followers of Jesus, as disciples. So that's the first thing. And I don't know if you've thought about that lately. We get kind of into a routine of being church members and going to church and being involved, many of us. And we can easily forget that when we talk about growing in discipleship, it's not, oh, man, i got to be a disciple of Jesus. Oh, i got to do that. You know, it is a privilege that we're called into the kingdom of God and get to follow Jesus. That he says, come and, and come after me. Be my followers. So I want us to see that today because if I, all the other stuff I talk about is going to be nuts and bolts. But if we're not motivated, we don't realize the beauty of it, it's, it's not going to lead us too far. So it's a privilege to be called as disciples. What I want us to do now is to think about, okay, if we're called to be something more than just a believer in Christ, more than just a member of a church, what does Jesus mean when he calls us to be disciples? And I take a lot of this from Robert Coleman, wrote a book years ago called The Master Plan of Evangelism. If you've never read it, it's uh, very straightforward it's uh, simple to read. It's not a terribly long book. I highly recommend that at some point in your journey, you read the master plan of evangelism because it's really the master plan of discipleship. And he talks about, he uses Jesus as a paradigm of how you and I should be seeking to be in relationship with other people at all times who are investing in us. And then, like it says in our passage in Timothy that we read earlier, that we would be seeking to impart what God is teaching us. Now, we may feel like we just barely got on the journey, like we don't really have a whole lot to share. I am sure the disciples felt that way. You can see in the early church how confused they were about things. And yet, even from the earliest time, Jesus invites them to look around and say, who can I invest in? Who can I spend time with? What are some of the some of the elements of this? Well, first of all, the setting. There's all different ways this can happen. When folks are on a, a setup team, the men that help out with the setup teams on Sunday here and are rubbing elbows and setting up of the stuff for us to have church, believe it or not, there's some relationship going on there. There's some discipleship of serving together. When, uh, ladies are back in the nursery helping with our little children. I'm sure there's some discipleship going on. When we come to this worship service, I pray every week that when the word's being taught and when we gather and worship, that we'd be growing as disciples, right? Not just hearing content, all of those settings. But frequently, for many, we find that in order for us to really get focused on discipleship, it's got to happen in a smaller group context or maybe even one-on-one where we are seeking and desiring somebody to pour into us and then maybe where we invite somebody else to receive what we might be able to pour into them. So that's why as a as a church, we talk regularly about various small groups and even about life groups and so forth, because we know that until we get into that kind of setting, that it's it's hard to really to really grow in in some deep ways spiritually. So think about the setting. Think about the settings that you have or maybe haven't placed yourself in in your life to grow and receive investment from others spiritually and maybe where you could be a part of that process for someone else as well. It's both both sides of that coin today we want to talk about. 
And Coleman lists out a number of things. They're all in your worship guide that I think are really helpful for this process, especially as we start thinking about the side of it where you and I look around and we say, you know, I know I don't know a ton about the Christian life, but I've maybe thought through what it means to live a Christian in my workplace. I've thought a bit about that. And maybe some of these other people in my work environment, if I, you know, I don't want to seem like a know-it-all, but if I ask them, hey, guys, would you want to get together and think a little bit about what it looks like to glorify God in our work? Maybe they'd be, be interested in that. Uh, ladies in the workplace doing the same thing with other ladies that are around you in the workplace, whatever that setting is. Uh, moms maybe reaching out to another mom. And I know my wife had folks that invested in, in her in her early years of motherhood. And it's kind of interesting when you look around and realize, oh, okay, we're, I'm at that stage where I have, I have learned a few things now that maybe, maybe nothing else I can pass on the mistakes I've made and say, hey, don't do this. I can impart that to other people. So that mentality is, is what I'm talking about here. And Coleman says this is vital. He's, he looks at Jesus and he notices that Jesus called to himself disciples. So there's a selection process to this. Of looking around and saying, okay, who is somebody I can invite? Uh, the old uh, acrostic for this is to find somebody who's fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Right? Somebody that wants to receive this. You can't impart something to a person that doesn't want to receive that. Faithful, available, and teachable. And Coleman puts it this way. He says, I, it all started by Jesus, teach, by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction his strategy would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he ever recognized, organized an evangelistic campaign or preached a sermon in public. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. And then he says further on down, here is where we must begin to be like Jesus. It'll be slow, tedious, painful, and probably unnoticed by people at first. But the end result will be glorious, even if we don't live to see it. Many others before me have said it seemed like a crazy strategy on Jesus's part to just pick these few disciples and to think that he could transform. Why didn't he do more in his three years of ministry, reach more people? Because he knew that this model of making disciples who would also make other disciples was the way that the Lord desires to grow his long-term, healthy, grounded church of believers. Well, selection is a key part of that. Association. Uh, it talks in Matthew 20, verse 28, verse 20. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He said, surely I'll be with you. Until the end of end of the age, Jesus was with his disciples. He was present with them, as it says in in your worship guide. I believe it says he ate with them, he slept with them, he talked with them for the most part of his entire active ministry. They walked together along the lonely roads. They visited together in the crowded cities. They sailed and fished together in the Sea of Galilee. They prayed together in the deserts and in the mountains, and they worshipped together in the synagogue and in the temple. They spent time together. So. If you're wanting to be invested in by somebody else, you're going to have to spend time. It's going to involve that commitment. If you're wanting to pour into somebody else, then, yeah, that's it's going to take some of our time to do that. We've got to spend time together. Consecration, I won't spend a long time talking about that. But it's basically this idea that we, sort of what I said earlier, that we realize it's a privilege to be a disciple. And we say, I really do want to be set apart 
to growing in a relationship with God that moves beyond just the surface, that moves beyond just general church participation. I want to have a deeper experience with the Lord. Impartation. This is a really important one. John 20, verse 22, Jesus, when he was ministering to his disciples, he imparted to them the Holy Spirit. You say, well, they had been with Jesus. They've been hanging out with Jesus. Surely they had everything they needed. Well, Jesus knew that when he was gone, they were going to need the Holy Spirit to sustain them. And believe me, if you and I are going to be motivated to move from where we sit spiritually to growing and seeking that from another person, we've got to have the Holy Spirit move us. And if you and I are going to take time and energy and focus in our lives and seek to invest in another people, another person, the Holy Spirit's going to have to be in the midst of that as well. So the Holy Spirit is vital. We're making disciples, seeking to make disciples of Jesus, right? Not disciples of you and me. So it's about the Holy Spirit. Demonstration. Jesus didn't just talk about stuff, talk about serving, blessing others. We know one example, he took out a bowl and a basin and got down on his, you know, on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. He showed them what that love was going to look like. If any of you wrote down somebody, think about it for a minute, uh, who you had been had invested in you, you jotted those down earlier, I bet you can think about a way that that person not only like said certain things or even spent time with, with you, but that I bet you can think of something they specifically did to bless you. They, they, they did some action. They demonstrated God's love that way. Uh, supervision. You know, it's fascinating. The, um, the NFL players, the, the Major League Baseball players, they're like the best. They're, nobody's better than them. They're, they're, they're the, the best at what they do. But do you know how many of those folks have a sort of personal coach or get some former player to come and help them improve? It's, it's crazy. You think they're at the top of their game. They've exceeded everybody else in their athletic ability and skill. And yet they're still seeking somebody to coach them along the way to help them develop further. How much more you and I are going to need folks that that kind of help us if you do begin to say, OK, I want to have an impact in some lives around me and start to to ask, hey, can I can I is there some way I could help you to grow spiritually? I've got some questions in a minute I'm going to show you. We're going to want to have somebody that comes alongside us and helps to coach us in that process. Well, here's where it's all leading and I'll aim to close uh, here with this, is reproduction, right? Um, I guess we don't want to view, you know, God is just merely pragmatic, but it's interesting that God's way of doing things is the most effective way of doing things ultimately. It's a straightforward math equation. I could lead a new person to come into a relationship with Christ every day, 365 days for a year, and if I just keep doing that, which would be, it would be amazing, which says it's very fruitful. Uh, but if that person does not, is not invested in in such a way that they then reach out and invest in others, then in fact, uh, the outreach, you can look at the little numbers I put in the worship guide there. It all looks great about year six or whatnot. I'm way ahead of the guy who's slowly spending one year with one person, but that that person would invest in another And so on and so on. Well, by year 15, you see the pattern. So many more are being reached all around the world. So this is not only something that we see laid out in Scripture that God invites us to, but it's also his 
a plan to have significant impact in the world. So I want you to think about this today. Uh, not only who invested in you, but who might God be calling you to invest in? Usually what it means is sitting down in some setting. I've found these three questions to be really effective. It's like the when you were dating back in the dating days, and some of our young people are in those dating days. You have the DTR. Everybody remember what the DTR was? Define the relationship. What are we doing here? Are we hanging out? Are we doing whatever? Are we a boyfriend and girlfriend? And and the DTR for discipleship is, do you want... To, to grow spiritually, you gotta you want to ask that question of somebody, or maybe they want again help with learning about work or in the Christian life, learning about motherhood, learning about fatherhood, learning about whatever. Do you want help with that? Uh, do, do you want to grow in that way? Number two, do you want help? And number three, do you want me to be the one to help you? Got to ask those questions. Got to define that relationship, and then I'll tell you. When you and I enter into those kind of relationships, it's amazing what the Lord can do. Uh, Many of those relationships are happening in our church body already. Uh, What an amazing thing it would be if that was multiplied and multiplied beyond even uh, the the folks that sit here today. And the last thing I want to say, don't have time left to go into it, but it's also a particularly beautiful thing. When we do that across the different things that, that maybe divide us. Uh, across generations, across ethnicities, across nationalities. When we uh, experience things from another person, from another perspective, it helps us to grow powerfully. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the privilege of being called into our family, that you have, into your family, that you have rescued us. That you have restored us. You've given us a new identity. And our identity is that of your followers. Uh, Lord, we know that that is supposed to be life transforming. And Lord, we pray that you would help uh, each one of us to be looking around to see where we need to grow and take another step of relationship with you. And that we wouldn't be afraid to ask other people to Help us with that or to put ourselves in a a small group or in a teaching setting where we we get what we need to to be able to to grow as your disciples. And then, Lord, I pray that you would grant a vision to each person here, even the young ones that are here, the elementary age and middle school, high school age kids that are sitting here, that, that even they would have a vision of reaching out to their classmates, to their peers. Uh, maybe there's not an age difference, but maybe there's an opportunity to help others grow spiritually, that we'd be looking to make disciples in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.